Hey folks, this week on the Pre-Rail Podcast, we're joined by Tom Dunkel. He's the Chief Investment Officer for Bellrose Storage Group. If you're interested in investing as an LP in self-storage deals, uh, Tom has got a, a, a really sound strategy. Uh, we talk a lot about the safe uh, pathway that they describe in great detail on their website. It's Sponsor Asset Financials Exit. The reason I enjoyed this conversation so much is, is Tom is very much focused on uh, education and, and teaching investors that you've got to look hard at the sponsor, uh, not so much just the asset, but the sponsor. You know, I've seen over the years great, great properties get run into the ground by not so great sponsors. And I've seen not so great real estate perform beautifully with a great sponsorship team. So if you're interested in investing in self-storage, Tom Dunkel this week, uh, it's a good episode to check out, folks. Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Pre-Real Podcast. Uh, we're joined today, folks, by Tom Dunkel. He's the Chief Investment Officer over at Bell Bellrose Storage Group. Uh, Bellrose has put together over the last couple of years several hundred thousand square feet in the self-storage space. Uh, and something that I thought was interesting and I wanted to, to touch on today, folks, is an acronym SAFE that Tom talks about quite a bit in his literature. And it's, it's something that I think as LPs, we should be paying a lot more attention to. So with that, Tom, thank you very much for taking the time and joining us today. Thanks, James. It's great to be with you and the listeners. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. I mean, anytime we can have someone uh, on the show that has significant background and is undertaking one of these specific typologies like self-storage, uh, it really is a highly specialized field. Uh, over the years, we've seen a lot of uh, these, these smaller funds diversify and dip their toe in waters that on paper look outstanding, but if you're not really an expert in those areas, when you get into these kinds of markets, you can have a, a bit of a tough go in it. So really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us today. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Happy, happy to be here and uh, happy to dive in as much as you'd like. We, uh, we're really enjoying the self-storage niche and, uh, and uh, I'd love to get uh, some more investors involved with us and in, into it. Well, anytime we can connect the audience to, to really strong sponsors, we're happy to do that. So why don't we spend a couple of minutes, if you don't mind, Tom, let's go back and, and give the, the audience a little bit of history of how you ended up where you are today. Yeah, sure. Uh, so thanks again. Yeah, I'm Tom Dunkel, Chief Investment Officer here at Bellrose Storage Group. And uh, I've been uh, out, I was in corporate America, left corporate America about going on 17 years ago. Man, time flies. Uh, but if you do the math, I, I left corporate America and uh, it was 2006. So went into uh, real estate. It was something I had always wanted to do. I uh, had a great run in corporate America during, doing uh, mergers and acquisitions and corporate finance stuff. So I, I loved doing deals and raising capital. And so I thought I would just go and do that on my own. And, you know, it was going to be easy, right? Because I had a, you know, MBA from a top school and had this great background uh, with you know, working with some incredible people. But of course, you know, went into real estate 2006, my timing probably couldn't have been worse. And so proceeded to get my butt whooped uh, those next few years um, and, you know, crashed and burned. And uh, you have those have those battle scars to, to show for it. But um, I had to reinvent. So I, uh, around 2009, I started learning about distressed mortgage debt and uh, connected with my partner, Joe Downs. We've been partners 13 years now. And um, so we started a distressed debt company in 2010, and we were able to grow that. And uh, it was a great business, but it's a very volatile business, and it's a very unpredictable business. So it was hard for us to, you know, especially me, you know, kind of being, you know, a little bit academic minded, you know, MBA, all that, you know, I wanted to, you know, figure out, you know, what's the business plan? What are the metrics we should be tracking? You know, what are the KPIs and those kinds of things? 
And we just weren't able to do that in distressed debt. Now we had a, a successful business despite that, but along the way, we wanted to find a business that we felt had some longevity and we could build a team and build a business plan and you know climb that mountain. And so we, we looked at hard money lending, uh, we looked at uh, fixing and flipping residential properties. We looked at uh, title company. You know, so we tried out a bunch of different things. But when we found self-storage, that's when the light bulb really went off because, of course, it's a real estate asset. It's in commercial real estate, uh, which, of course, the value there is driven by net operating income. It's a highly fragmented, dislocated kind of market because you've got the big guys uh, that uh, that you've heard of public storage, extra space, et cetera. But what a lot of people don't realize is that those big guys only control about 25, 30% of the self-storage market. So really, you know, 65, 70% of the market is, is more moms and pops or like smaller regional players. And so there's a lot of really mismanaged self-storage facilities out there. And so that really caught our attention as, as business operators uh, wanting to get in there and leverage technology you know, leverage our team and their backgrounds and their expertise. Um, you know, we we really saw it as a, a target-rich environment uh, to to build a, a really nice uh, self-storage business. So that's it, interesting. The there's a, a bit of a, a misnomer that folks uh, that are not really in the business don't understand. Um, the big companies offer certain benefits and there are certain um depending on your investment strategy there are certain boxes that you can check with those big guys uh, but in in my experience i have found that they also are often carrying tremendous overhead they are not uh, so quick to adapt and adopt new strategies when you're in a a, a niche that is really poised for massive disruption as self-storage was and is, at least in my opinion. Uh, so having a smaller, more nimble company uh, for us has been a strategy that's worked and it's worked for us personally. It's worked for, for us as we've invested alongside others uh, because it's difficult. You know, those big ships take a bit of time to turn. You know, you, you right. need a lot of a lot of uh, ocean, and you need a, a really wide, wide span to be able to turn those big guys. <laughs> and the smaller guys are able to pivot quickly and, and take advantage. And I think the the marketing and the technology, certainly in the real estate business across all the typologies, um, right now it's it's like the most exciting time I think to to be in real estate if you understand those components of it because there is just this whole universe that is still figuring it out on the fly and you know when you're able to uh, adopt these new strategies and and build them into the program with relative efficiency it does give you a real advantage man 100% and that and that's something uh James and you're you're wise to point that out and that's something that we're certainly exploiting uh because uh a lot of a lot of the, uh, of course, the big companies, yeah, they're, they're kind of playing their own game, but they are, they, they do take on a lot of overhead. They have full-time managers. They've got, you know, all the, you know, the fancy uh, stuff going on at their facilities. Our facilities are very plain vanilla. Uh, I mean, I tell people all the time, you know, hey, we're, we're we've got uh, metal boxes on concrete pads and roll-up doors. It's not a complicated business, but we can still come in and apply technology uh, to the to this industry and where that shows up and why this is important for investors is we're able to really drive down our operating expenses. So uh, I know a lot of people are are interested in multifamily. I've actually been a multifamily investor as an LP myself since 2013. So I, I do know and and uh, and and like really like that industry. Uh, one place where self storage I think is um, is. Is, has a marked difference is in that operating expense area. So if a multifamily facility or even like a, a big, you know, public storage type facility, you know, their, their expense ratio is going to be for every hundred dollars that they bring in of revenue, their expenses are going to be, you know, 60, 70 bucks. It's going to leave, you know, 30-ish dollars to go to the NOI and then which of course goes to pay debt service and investors. Well, ours is the inverse of that. Uh, our expense ratio is typically in the 30 
uh, percent range, uh, maybe a little higher on smaller facilities. Uh, but one of the facilities that we were able to exit last year, James, we, we were able to drive the operating expense ratio down to 18%. And that was because we, we leveraged technology and we had a kick butt uh, manager who we, we use a hybrid management structure uh, because we're able to lever leverage technology so we don't need a full-time person there. So we're able to drive down those expenses, pumps up the NOI, and we had a really nice exit there and delivered some great returns to our investors. So it's interesting. You, you touched on uh, the multis, which for a good run, that was kind of the bell of the ball, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's, sure. it's, it's important to be diversified. And I think it's smart to have uh, a, a little bit of everything if you can from an LP perspective, mm -hmm. as long as you have the right team running the deal. Uh, but there were a lot of advantages that, that I saw in self-storage that were uh, really the kind of, if you took the sexiness out of it, the core principles of why uh, multis to me were a, a good play is as we got to these inflationary periods, um, you had the ability to recast your income level, right? You, you didn't have these long-term fixed leases, you know, 5% increases or 10% increases every five years with these corporate deals. And I do a lot of retail and mm -hmm. believe me, I, I believe there's a, a really important place for that in the portfolio. But with self-storage, you had the ability to recast the price model monthly if, if, if you wanted to. And uh, you could take advantage of inflation in real time and you didn't have this massive legislative risk. There's some legislative risk with self-storage, but uh, for us, as we began to uh, divest and pull back from our holdings in the Northeast and New York in particular, uh, legislative risk became, this was something that over the years was five or six on the analysis, and, and then it became three or four, and then it became two or three, then it became number one. It was yeah. our number one thing that we had to be careful for uh, mm -hmm. when we were forecasting this stuff. Uh, much of the legislation, uh, you know, I like to say it's well intended and you hope that it is, but the, the impacts in the real world can be staggering. And being from New York, uh, it just became too much risk to pencil these things out. You had, you had mentioned volatility in the defaulted note model, which there absolutely is. It's it's one of those markets. I love that market, but because um, mm -hmm. I'm a deal junkie, right? So <laughs> I, I love the, that idea, but right. you, have, you have two or three year runs and then it dries up almost completely. That's for right. Three, four or five years. Uh, I do believe we're headed into another one of those crazy periods where these small and mid-cap banks are, are going to have a hard time uh, staying within their charter uh, as these notes come due and the big guys are not refinancing out and they're offering these discounts and sucking cash reserves out of the smaller banks. So it does create that neat market, um, but it's tough to forecast. And, and when you're you're trying to have having this, you know, Ivy League background uh, that you come from, it's tough to forecast those things when you have such an incredible uh, just bogey that is hard to identify and constantly changing in the legislative risk. And self-storage, uh, while it has some, it is pretty well insulated. That's not the focal point of most of the legislation we're seeing coming out of Albany and the city. Uh, and I wonder, was that a part of your analysis as you picked self-storage? Oh, sure, James. It was definitely uh, on, on the, you know, probably the top five or so uh, list of benefits we, we saw in self-storage is it's, it's not governed by landlord-tenant law, it's governed by lien law. So when a tenant uh, goes delinquent, uh, there's a very clearly defined uh, period of time. Uh, it's typically, it varies a little bit state to state, but typically it's 60 days. Uh, if they're, if they're uh, delinquent 60 days, they get a notification, hey, your stuff's going to auction in 10 days and bing, bang, boom, you know, uh, we can auction that stuff off. And then whoever wins the auction, they have a couple of days to clear out the unit. And then we just get it broom swept and we can get it up and rented a lot of times later that same day. 
So as uh, just for the benefit of the audience, I, I want to spend another minute on explaining why in an inflationary period, self-storage is such a, a killer model um, as, as that upward pressure is driving costs up. And look, folks, we've all felt it, right? We felt it at the pump. We felt it at the, the supermarket. Uh, you're able to recast on your uh, vacant spaces or any spaces that are not under agreement, the asking prices to be reflective of the inflationary marks for that month, even if you wanted to. Theoretically, it could be for that day, but th that might be a bit cumbersome to manage. Uh, so as inflation is driving prices up, you're not stuck in those fixed uh, rental amounts. You're able to recast and, and enjoy that run up. Um, so you you decide self-storage is, is the place that you're going to live. It's, it's an easier thing to model than the defaulted notes for sure. Mm -hmm. um, can you walk us through, you know, like day one when you've made the commitment, okay, it's going to be self-storage. What, what's the first thing that you do? Where, where did you start? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and yeah, I love uh, you're highlighting a lot of the great things uh, about self-storage. But uh, really, James, having having been in business for a while, by the time we you know ran into self-storage and wanted to make a run at it, uh, we knew we had to do a couple of things up front before we got out uh, over our skis. Was number one was we had to get educated, right? So you know we're pretty smart guys. We've been around the block a few times, but still, you know, self-storage was a different asset class for us. So. Uh, so we went and got educated. You know, we went to the conferences. We've done the, uh, you know, the academies and the and we're part of a self storage mastermind group uh, since 2019. Um, so we really wanted to um, uh, just immerse ourselves in the industry. So we went to the industry events. You know, we we joined the self storage association for our state and other states and and so we just really you know jumped right in and immersed ourselves and in that process James we realized hey you know what we we've got a we've got a kind of a good starter kit for the team but we don't have all the pieces that we need to really go and do what we want to do with storage because my partner Joe and I you know we're deal guys you know kind of like you mentioned earlier deal junkies so you know, I've been deal, doing deals my whole career you know I'm I'm the numbers nerd so I you know run the spreadsheets and and then I you know do the projections uh you know do all the sensitivity analysis and then you know run that up against um, our investors and you know get their feedback and such and arrange for the financing and you know so that Joe and I We've done that in multiple industries, but the uh, one thing that we weren't good at uh, was finding the off-market deals. So to generate that those leads, uh, we we really needed to go out and find that component. So through our self storage mastermind group, we were able to find Tim Kane. So he's our our third partner in uh, our self storage business, uh, and he's an expert at. Uh, not only the lead generation so that we can find the off-market deals, which are the ones that everybody wants, uh, but he's also experienced in development. So to the extent we acquired a facility um, where there was additional space to either add on new units or in the case of a facility we're looking at right now down in Georgia, there's a there's a warehouse on the property that's just kind of full of a bunch of random junk. So what we're going to do is we're going to clean that out. We're going to convert that warehouse into uh, temperature controlled storage. Uh, so he has that experience as well. Now, of course, James, you've been around the block as well, but you know, it's it's pretty easy to buy real estate, right? If you, if you pay cash close tomorrow uh, and pay asking price or better, right? You can buy as much real estate as you can get your hands on. The problem is now you got to operate the thing, right? So that was the last piece of the puzzle for us was we really needed to get that operating expertise in-house. So um, so we hired uh, Catherine East. She's a now a 17-year veteran in the self-storage industry, uh, former executive director of the Missouri uh, Self-Storage Owners Association. And she's done uh, transition and operating operations management consulting work and auditing work on storage facilities all around the country um, in our tier of the market, right? She's not working for the big boys. Uh, she's she's working on kind of the the smaller you know middle to lower tier uh, facilities that that fit our model. So when we brought her in, that's when we knew okay now we now we are uh, ready to rock and roll. And so that's when we uh, acquired our first facility. We didn't acquire our first facility till August of 2020. So it was about 
you know, three years after two to three years after we really started diving into the space. Um, and so getting educated up front, getting the team together uh, also allowed us to line up the capital. So that's why we've been able to acquire uh, 12 facilities in a little over two years. So I love that you started with and ended with really education. Um, we have so many tools available to us today that mm -hmm. were not available just 20 years ago. Oh, sure. Um, to be able to join these masterminds and get into these proper uh, groups, you really can uh, bring yourself up to speed on any investment typology. And if you're smart enough to know what you don't know, which it certainly sounds like you guys are, you, you brought in lead gen, you brought in ops, you brought in development, uh, you had finance, now you've got a team. And I love the fact that it was two years from the commitment to the first acquisition. We've seen too many of these decks come through over the last few years that, you know, they look great on paper and, and, and people, mm -hmm. there's something about investing in real estate, Tom, and, and people forget this. The decks are created to look great, right? <laughs> sure. Someone put that together and they're highlighting just the best of the best of the best. Um, and if you don't have a responsible sponsor, they omit uh, a lot of the things that you really should be taking a look at. And the fact that um, you've been through a bad run, I think, you know, you had said, and I certainly understand it, you picked the, the worst time to, to get involved in real estate, but in retrospect, it was probably the best time because sure. anybody that tells you they came out of 2008 unscathed is a liar. Uh, this, <laughs> this touched everyone, right? And yeah. it's, it's those scars that have for us, and it sounds like for you, uh, they're painful and they remain and they define our strategy going forward. Uh, you know, right. When you, you see these decks and everything looks wonderful and and you, you, you see that they're banking on 25% appreciation in rents and they're banking on three liquidity events in the next six years and they're <laughs> uh, banking on cutting costs on operations and management by 40% in spite of the fact that we're headed headlong into an inflationary period, something's wrong there. And, and as right. you started to, to push through these things and ask the right questions, a lot of bright folks, um, but many of them candidly had just gotten involved in real estate, you know, yesterday, and now they're raising capital tomorrow. Um, and that's dangerous because if, right. if you don't have sponsors that have been through these cycles, folks, you cannot understand it. There's no way that you can tell a proper story that covers uh, what really went on in the trenches during those years, but being there and having gone through, this is now a third turn in the market. Uh, each time you, you get a, a bit smarter and, and you're going to fail and you're going to make mistakes and that's okay as long as you're learning from them and you're, you're failing forward and you're picking yourself back up. So for me, the fact that you got involved in 2006 is a blessing and, and the fact that you started this thing two years before you actually took down your first asset, I think is brilliant. Uh, so let's fast forward here. Now sure. we're in August of 2020. Uh, you've got a good team. You're, you're, you're working on lead gen because a healthy pipeline is, is everything in this business. Right. Um, was the focus going to be... Uh, you know, the mom and pop sites that, that, that could use technology and be repositioned? Were you interested at all in ground up development? What was the focus? Yeah, good question. Um, and, and, and if you'll allow me a second, I'll answer that in, in one second. But if you'll allow me a, just a little second, you, you opened up uh, kind of an interesting topic, which is, you know, the, the cycles that we've been through. We kind of glossed over my corporate background at the beginning, but I'll, I'll just throw out uh, that I joined a technology investment bank in 1999. <laughs> so, so I, I lived through the internet bubble and, uh, you know, was a part of that as well. So it's like, like you mentioned, James, you know, it sounds like both of us have been, been through a little, a little bit here and there. And for sure that, 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 that paints, you know, gives us a little 
you know, different lens to look through when we're, when we are looking at real estate deals and real estate businesses. So hundred percent have that, have that DNA. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, very similar James to multifamily, right? When we're looking at, uh, opportunities in self-storage, we're looking at, we, you know, we look at the market, right? So we want to see that the population's steady or growing. We want to see that, you know, there's a decent uh, level of income in that market. We want to see, you know, low crime, low poverty, you know, those kinds of things. We want to see jobs are steady or growing. Uh, we want to see infrastructure investments being made uh, so that so that it's, you know, a, a robust and diversified economy there. It's not a one factory kind of town, right? Um, so we're, we're looking at that. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be a super hot market, you know, everything's, you know, going through the roof. I mean, that certainly helps and is, and is attractive, but we just did a deal um, in upstate New York and Carmel, actually, which is just a solid, you know, basically a suburb more or less of Danbury, Connecticut. And, uh, you know, certainly not a super hot, you know, growing market, but man, it's steady, really solid income there. Uh, low crime and low poverty. And I'll tell you too, there's not enough storage up there. So that of course is the other thing we look at is what is the supply, we call it the supply index for storage. So we the supply index is simply the, the amount of self-storage square footage in that market. We divide that by the by the population and that gives us a square feet per capita. Uh, in that market. So it varies different markets here and there, but generally speaking, about eight feet uh, per person uh, is equilibrium. And so if we go to a market and we see that it's, you know, 18, 19, 20 feet per person, then we're going to have to take a little extra look at that because it sounds like that market might be oversupplied. It's not a, it's not a black and white thing. But in the case of Carmel, New York, it was like two feet per, per capita. And so we're like, okay, wow. And, and when we do our next layer of due diligence, when we're actually contacting the uh, facilities in a 10 uh, mile radius, they were all full. So we knew that there's low supply and there's high demand. So what does that tell you? We can push rates. And so we can push rates uh, until we you know kind of see that, I guess, pain point, if you will, where the customers are, you know, starting to starting to leave the facility, but in a in a in a in an area where incomes are pretty high, and self storage is scarce, and you can kind of boil that frog slowly over time, or quickly if you want, uh, and uh, you can really kind of put the customers in a position of, well, am I really going to have to empty out all my junk and try to move it somewhere to save twenty five or fifty dollars a month, or am I just going to you know kind of grin and bear it sort of thing? So I'm curious, um, and thank you for that that background. Those are some great metrics. You you had talked about um, a lot of the metrics as you had highlighted that are are ones that we look at when we're considering a, a multifamily investment in the tourism. Is the is tourism uh, or one of these like you know lake towns? Does that have you found that that has a a, a big effect on the storage market? It's certainly a, a more specialized kind of market. Um, and we do have a facility um, in Cumming, Georgia, which is near Lake Lanier, which is a resort kind of area. So um, I guess that, you know, there are folks there um, that are, uh, you know, they have vacation homes or they have their, their boats or their rave, wave runners or what have you. And in a lot of places, uh, a lot of neighborhoods, they don't want you to uh, keep that stuff on your property. Uh, so that's where storage comes into place for for boats and RVs and trailers and that kind of thing. Um, so it, it is a, a little different kind of market. Um, there are also, uh, we own a facility in Lynchburg, Virginia, which is a college town. So we get tend to get some seasonality there related to the college kids moving in and out. Um, so it, it seems like every market, James, sort of has its own uh, dynamics uh, a little bit. Um, and some markets uh, are, are heavily contractor driven, uh, so they like to have bigger units. So we look, we do look at the customer base. And so when we do an expansion, for example, we say, hey, you know, we need more 10 by 20s because contractors like those bigger units 
because they're storing their equipment or you know their extra supplies or what have you, and they need that that space. So we're definitely looking at all those things. But one of the things I I absolutely need to touch on is when we when we are look you know we talked about the market, uh, but when we look at a specific facility and you know these moms and pops are are a lot of times you know unfortunately they're kind of asleep at the wheel right and so you talked about inflation James so you know over the past couple of years rates on self storage units have gone up substantially uh, but these moms and pops they're not really paying that close attention they're a little asleep at the wheel. So next thing you know, their rates are like 20% below market, 25, 30. You know, we've seen rates 35, 40% below market. So if all we do is go in and acquire that facility and push up the rates uh, to market over time and you know manage the expenses, I mean, it's going to be a really solid deal. But uh, that's something that we run into more than you would expect. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm not surprised because the, you know, we touched on this in the beginning, Tom, the, these markets that have resisted change and they've resisted technology, it's impossible to stay on top of these metrics without software and, and tech. And if, if I had to guess, uh, I suspect right. that you guys have, have built out some proprietary and some standardized tools that you use to determine where mm -hmm. is market and what is that you know uh, upside that you can capture simply by mm -hmm. bringing the facility into you know the modern era if you will uh, right. and and those are tools that the mom and pops you know uh, oftentimes I've been guilty of this in the mm -hmm. past in my own business it, it's hard when when you're trying to keep the doors open and you're you know you're faced with the challenges that we're faced with every day as a small business um, you, you know, you you get caught working in the business instead of on the business. I see mm -hmm. who, not how in the background there. <laughs> That's right. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of books that speak to uh, how to address those issues. And it does make all the difference in the world if you're able to get out of the weeds and sit at 10, 15, 20,000 feet. Because um, you see, you, you see the picture a lot more clearly, right? It, and it, it allows right. you to capture that upside. Um, are, are you guys uh, finding that, I'm wondering if like customer experience, so let's assume that we had two facilities in similar locations, uh, but one has, uh, has used technology to uh, handle their logging in, their logging out, access to the, the facility, and uh, you know, there's automated responses and there's VAs returning calls and you're using all the things that I'm sure that you've, you've uh, incorporated in one way or another. And then yep. the mom and pop that is not so focused on customer experience. Does that <laughs> matter in self-storage? Oh, hundred percent, James. Yeah. hundred percent. So, I mean, everybody these days, and it was uh, even exaggerated even more so uh, during the COVID pandemic, but you know, folks like to do business these days on their on their smartphones, right? So if 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 uh, you know if somebody's uh, needing storage, you know they're gonna they're gonna pick up their phone, you know they're gonna they're gonna ask Siri or they're gonna hit their Google button, they're gonna say self storage near me, and so whoever pops up in those first few uh, you know names on Google uh, in the search results, you know they're very very likely to get the business. And if you can um, have someone, you know, if you can have the technology in place where you can click through on your smartphone and uh, go ahead and rent your unit, fill out your, uh, your application and your paperwork and sign it with your finger and get your gate code you know, texted to you so you can go to the facility on your, at your leisure, you know, get in the gate, you go to your unit, you roll up the unit door and the, uh, your lock is right there ready for you. And it's all swept out, ready to go. I mean, that's the convenience that we bring to the table with the technology that we put in place. And a lot of moms and pops, you know, they, they might be lucky to have a website and they might be lucky to have a, a, a management software system. Uh, so that's just what we do. That's just part of what we do. We, we implement the technology. You know, we do the search engine optimization. You know, we're doing all those cool marketing things. And in fact, on the on the gate at our facilities, there's a sign on there with a QR code on it. So you can take your smartphone, you can take a picture of the 
uh, QR code and just right there while they're standing at the gate, they can fill out their paperwork at their gate code and they can enter the, the facility. So we have all of that in place, which again, it's just that convenience factor, right? Because people these days, they like convenience. They like that immediate gratification, you know, that they're not wanting, they're not calling up and saying, oh, I'll, you know, can I get my storage unit, you know, next Saturday? <laughs> you know, they want it right now. Yeah. And so those bombs and pops, you know, they don't have the website, you know, you're lucky if they answer the phone. Um, cause again, they're not running it really as a business, um, as a, as a quick story, the, the gentleman we bought the facility from, uh, up in Carmel, New York, older gentleman, ready to retire, spent a lot of time in Florida and, um, he had built the place. Um, he had his daughter working there as the manager, you know, overpaying her. So their expenses were too high. Um, and he knew, he told us, he's like, well, yeah, I know my rates are, are pretty low, but he's like, you know what? I'm, I'm happy with the amount of money coming in each month. I, you know, I know a bunch of the customers. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to piss them off. And so he just continues on and he wishes us, <laughs> wishes us uh, all the luck in the world. Uh, Cause uh, yeah, he knows what we're going to be doing with it. But uh, that was his philosophy was, Hey, I'm, I'm happy with what's coming in. Uh, customers are happy so i'm happy and i get to go to florida and hang out with my young girlfriend and play some golf so <laughs> you know it, it, you're touching on such an important thing that that we don't spend enough time on when sourcing these deals uh, and it's the sign of a good sponsor folks if they understand that price more times than not is not the driving factor in a seller making a decision they want to. They want to uh, feel like they can take pride in what they've done. They want to know that this is going to live on. Um, they want the deal to match the lifestyle. Oftentimes, we have found this this almost exact avatar of a seller that you're describing. Mm -hmm. um, they they typically hold notes because they enjoy the the revenue. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there. Don't get hung up uh, and and. Now, as the market's softening a little bit, it, it's not as relevant, but we'll be back there again, folks. When things are crazy and prices are going nuts, uh, don't let your deal makers drive you down a path of just price. Uh, you've got to connect with your seller and find what's important to them and tailor your deal, uh, as Tom is describing, to that lifestyle. I love that you knew that they want to be in Florida playing golf with their girlfriend and enjoying what they're doing. <laughs> They've got connections in the local community, right? You can structure a deal that is not mm -hmm. price sensitive, which for us as the new person coming in is paramount, right? But for them, it's not. And it's important we don't put our thought on the deal and our metrics onto our sellers. So uh, mm -hmm. I, I love the approach. Um, and with that, I want to transition because it's a simple acronym, but I love it. Can you can you speak a little bit about safe and what that means for you guys? Sure, James. Um, I'd love to go to that. If I can just touch quickly, uh, you mentioned uh, seller financing. So I didn't mention before the same gentleman up in Carmel, New York. He he actually provided uh, seller financing on that facility, interest only. Uh, for five years at 5%. So, I mean, right there, it's that's a huge value add uh, for our investors right there. So we're, we're cash flowing from day one and, you know, we're, we're rocking and rolling there pretty good. Uh, but yeah, so I've, I've done this a few times, Tom, and it sounds <laughs> you know, like you have too. I love it. That's right. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, so safe, uh, James, uh, came out of just my personal experience as an investor. I mean, first and foremost, I mean, you know, look, we love self-storage. We've got a great business going here with storage. I love distressed debt and other asset classes. But th at the end of the day, I'm an investor, right? I've been a full-time investor since 2006. And so along the way, as I was looking at different deals and different funds and who to back and asset classes and this and that, um, you know, I had a great background, right? In corporate finance and running models and financial stuff. Uh, so I, I knew a lot going in, but I didn't know, certainly didn't know everything. And so along the way, I made a ton of mistakes, right, as I was looking at different kinds of deals. And so I thought it'd be valuable um, to provide a resource to investors that were in my same shoes back then uh, so that they can, it gives, a, it gives them a, a, a due diligence framework, right, so that they can get started. So that, I'm thinking about, you know, the busy professional out there, you know, the 
you know, the lawyer, the doctor, the consultant, or the sales guy, or, you know, whoever it is that's, you know, they, they've, they've got some money coming in, they want to put some money to work, they're a little concerned about this, the stock market or, or digital currency, you know, whatever it is. Um, but they see value in, in al with alternative investments, which don't get me even started on how it got named alternative investments. I mean, what's more basic than, you know, real estate and lending? I mean, it goes back to biblical times. Anyway, don't want to get on my soapbox there. But um, so we came up with this, this framework for busy professionals so that they could do their due diligence and they could take that step out of the public markets and into alternative investments, because I realize it's a daunting step, right? You're not really sure where to start. Uh, you see that there's value in alternative investments and real estate and getting with the right sponsors, but you're just not really sure how to do it. And so uh, SAFE, James, is, is an acronym. It's a, it's a we turned it into an ebook uh, that's available on our website. Uh, for free, and it's uh, an acronym, S-A-F-E, and, and certainly, please don't anyone come to me and say, oh, you're, you're saying investing is safe. No, investing is not safe. Investing has a lot of risks. However, if you use the safe checklist, it can help to eliminate some of those risks. So S is for sponsor, A is for asset, F is for financials, E is for exit, right? So this, the checklist gives you lots of questions to ask, right? So S for sponsor, you know, who's running the deal? What's their background? Are, have they been successful? Um, you know, have they generate, have, how long have they been in this uh, asset class? Have they generated, you know, returns? Have they had a, have they had a full cycle, right? Have they purchased a property, done what they said they were going to do and then exited, right? So, you, um, in fact, um, James, you might've run into this as well, but we have a investor we've worked with for years. I mean, he's a nine figure guy, you know, nine figure net worth guy. And so very, very, you know, wealthy, and he said, you know, pretty much more than anything else, he's looking at the sponsor more more than a lot of anything else. Because that, in his experience, he's found that that's where a lot of his deals have gone wrong is he didn't have the right sponsor. So go through the checklist, ask all the questions. And at the end of the day, James, the question for the investor is, can I sleep well at night knowing this guy, this company has my hard-earned money, right? And then you go to A. A is for asset. So I, I'm surprised sometimes when I talk to investors, uh, and they don't, they can't really tell you what it is they're investing in. So the A section, the A for asset, right? It's what is it exactly that you're investing in? If you invest, if you invest with Bellrose Storage Group in one of our self storage deals, you're buying membership interests in an LLC that owns the property. So you're not buying directly into the property, buying into an LLC. Uh, I would love for someone to tell me, you know, who's investing in digital currencies, you know, what is it that you're investing in? Can you explain that asset to your children? Um, <clears throat> so just, you know, series of questions about that. Where is the asset? What market is it in? How, how do you feel about that market? You know, what is it a growing market? Is it a solid market? Those kinds of things. F is for financials. Right. So financials is, you know, what do the projections look like? Are they believable? Has the sponsor delivered on these kinds of projections in the past? Um, and then also for you personally as an investor, you know, how much of your net worth or liquid resources is this investment taking up? And are you, are you okay with that? Um, and again, the, the ultimate question with all these sections, James, is can I sleep well at night? You know, understanding the sponsor, understanding the asset, understanding the financials. And ultimately the exit, E is for exit, right? So how do I get out of this thing? I can't go to schwab.com and click, 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 you know, sell my position in uh, in a Bellrose self-storage deal because uh, we're just not, it's just not set up that way. So as an investor going in, you need to be comfortable understanding that your capital is going to be tied up for two, three, four, five years, depending on uh, the particular characteristics of that of that deal. And you need to know has the sponsor exited that way before? So if they're saying, hey, we're going to sell the property, you know, what's that look like? Who's going to buy it? When is that going to happen? Um, and, and are you sure we can sell at a, at a price that's going to be uh, profitable? And then, uh, you know, there's all, all kinds of other considerations with exit. And I would, I would say that, uh, you know, tax implications, what happens when you sell and you get that money back? Is that going to be taxed and how? You know, so there are all those kinds of questions. So I think 
Uh, it's a checklist. It's meant to be a workbook that folks use and they, you know, write on it and scribble down. And, uh, and I would say too, like, I, I, I feel like um, investors, like they, they, they meet somebody like, oh, hey, you know, Tom's a good guy. I'll, I'll throw him a hundred grand or 200 grand, whatever. And I would, I appreciate that, but I, you know, you should really take that opportunity to ask me the hard questions, you know, and get to know me and my, and my company and my team. And the fact that you're writing that check or, you know, for that money, I mean, it gives you the right to ask those questions and, uh, you know, really dig in. And I, and I encourage people to do that. I know sometimes it can be a little uncomfortable, but I think that's why the checklist helps is because if you're just on this, on the phone with the sponsor and you're just reading down your checklist, it makes it a lot easier to ask those tough questions as opposed to, you know, just coming up with it off the top of your head. But I, I encourage folks to use that as a way to de-risk and take that step into alternative investments. Because I think for me personally, as an investor, full-time investor of the past going on 17 years, uh, you know, I, I love alternative investments. I think it's, it's the way to go. I wish it was more uh, widely adopted by folks out there. I think there'd be a lot more people that were in a, a more financially secure position if, if that were the case. No doubt about it. So the, the ebook uh, is available on the website, folks. It's Bellrose Storage group.com. Check it out. Uh, you put your name in, you put your email in, you get the ebook delivered by email in five seconds. It's a great read. Uh, it's a quick read, especially if you're um, on the new side to investment. So the reason I wanted to spend time on this and I, I loved it so much is in real estate, you hear location, 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 and good real estate will allow you some grace on bad execution. But I have seen inexperienced or bad sponsors drive great real estate right into the ground. And I have seen great sponsors take honestly crap real estate and turn it into a wonderful performing asset. <laughs> and I will take the sponsor over the asset every single solitary time. And you start with sponsor. You don't start with the real estate. Um, and three of the four metrics, financials, the execution of those financials is predicated on the sponsor. The exit is predicated on the sponsor. It's very easy to right. buy into a deal and say, oh, well, uh, we're going to exit in five years. And we're, we're in five years, we're going to get today's cap rate. That's like a massive, massive red flag for me. And any idiot can assume things are going to be static five years from now, and they never are. I need the guy right. or the girl that can tell me what are market conditions going to be in five years? What do those cap rates look like? What are the what does liquidity look like? What does the debt market look like? And how are we going to be able to execute in that world? There, now you've got the right sponsor. So I love that you start with sponsor. I love that three of the four metrics tie back to the sponsor. And the location, location, location thing has its its place and its time in real estate. But but folks, if you don't have the right sponsor, it, it, it only buys you so much grace. Uh, you need to have a sponsor that's experienced, that's been through the battles. In my opinion, you need to have a sponsor that's experienced and been through the battles and understands how to operate under pressure when things don't exactly play out the way that we think that they will. Because even the best, most savvy investor uh, in the world doesn't have a crystal ball and it's how they operate under pressure that really matters. Uh, Tom, can we spend just a couple of minutes before I let you go on the investment itself? What, 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 what are targeted returns look like? Are these blind pool investments or are they on, uh, is it prescribed what assets the LLC owns at the time of investment? Uh, how long of a tie-up period is it? If you could just hit two or three of those points for us. Sure, James. Yeah. Um, so we're a direct investment shop. Uh, so so investors that in, uh, are in our deals, they are investing in a specific property that has a specific strategy associated with it, including the timeline uh, to exit. So uh, some of our deals as value add, you know, we're able to get in and turn them around pretty quickly. So that's usually going to be around a two, you know, maybe two and a half year deal. Uh, other deals that have some more moving parts, uh, like the facility we're about to acquire in Georgia, you know, there's an expansion component there, conversion. Uh, so that one, we're giving ourselves a, a four-year runway 
uh, four to five year, uh, just because of the, the conversion, construction, lease up aspects to, to that deal. Uh, but yeah, our, our investors uh, come in uh, and they, uh, they come in as class A investors. Uh, our minimums are 50,000. Uh, we have investors, our average is about 100 and, 110, uh, give or take. And uh, we have some investors come in, you know, 250,000, et cetera. But um, <clears throat> our investors are typically, you know, busy professionals that, uh, that love what we're doing, but don't have the time or the uh, expertise or the inclination to go do it themselves. So we're happy to be able to provide uh, that service. Uh, but our investors uh, receive a uh, monthly distribution once the property is up and running and cash flowing. Uh, they receive a, a monthly distribution as a, as a preferred dividend, uh, which is cumulative. So uh, it's meaning that if we, if we don't, so the deal we have right now is in the 8% pref. Uh, if we don't hit the 8% in the first year, which in this deal we won't because we, we do have that conversion component, uh, we'll make up for it uh, later. And our projections are showing that we'll be able to do that uh, in year two and three, we'll be able to catch that up. Because uh, once we get the facility converted and up and running, you know, we're going to be you know cash flowing really strong. Um, and then uh, there's a profit split at the end once the property is sold, uh, and that and then that that pro profit split plus getting the capital back to the investors. You know, we're targeting James uh, the high teens, you know, 17, 18, 19 percent uh, overall uh, annualized return to investors. Um, over, you know, like I said earlier, like a, maybe a two year time frame or up to a four to five year time frame for a more complicated project. Wow. Is there any room in the, the cap stack for folks that have self-directed IRAs? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I've been a self-directed IRA invested investor since 2009. So I'm a big fan of the self-directed IRAs and we, we have them in our deals, uh, think pretty much every time. <laughs> so Tom, uh, what's the best way for folks to, to reach out if they're interested in investing and they want to learn more about the company? Where can we point them to? Uh, yeah, sure. Sure, James. Uh, this has been great. Uh, Tom Dunkel, I'm Chief Investment Officer at Bellrose Storage Group. You can find us at bellrosestoragegroup.com where you can register in our investment portal. And our uh, investor portal is where all of our deals are posted and our communications are made. And uh, it's, a, it's a pretty slick back end. You know, that's where the tax documents live and that's where the uh, distributions are made out of. And so it's all very uh, streamlined, which is great for us. And it's great for our investors as well. Um, but yeah, we're, we're excited to be on a, a nice growth path here in a great asset class. Um, and we are... Uh, excited to have a great team and we have lots of resources. We try to put a lot of value add resources out there, James, for our potential investors. So we have a Facebook page, bellrosestoragegroup.com, where you can see some of my other podcast interviews, um, other articles and blogs that we write up about, you know, what we're seeing in self-storage, you know, why we like self-storage, you know, little blurbs about the team and, and all those kinds of things. Well, this was super informative, uh, folks. As always, all the links will be below. Uh, Tom Dunkel, really appreciate the time. Best of luck moving forward. Thanks, James. Best of luck to you as well. Thank you. As always, everyone, please stay safe. Are you ready to bring your real estate game to the next level? My name is James Prendamano. I'm the CEO and founder of Pre-Real. And over the past 25 years, I've closed over a billion dollars in transactional real estate. Each week, I'm meeting with outstanding investors, high-performing individuals, and visionaries operating in the real estate space. These are the people that are actually out there in the real estate game right now getting it done. This podcast aims at bringing anyone's game to the next level. This is the Pre-Real Podcast.